0: 79 of the Real Food Mamas podcast. Today we have a special guest interview with Dr. Stephen Lin. Dr. Stephen Lin is a dentist who has a functional approach to dental health. You'll hear us discuss nutritional considerations for optimal dental health for pregnant women, babies while they're in utero, and kids. He'll also discuss his take on fluoride, pacifier and finger sucking, supplements, how to avoid braces, and so much more. You're going to love this interview. First, I'll quickly introduce myself and my podcast co-host. Then I'll read Dr. Lynn's bio, have a short Nourish Yourself segment, and we'll get right into the interview. I'm Stephanie Garinki, a registered dietitian who's passionate about helping women rock their pregnancy and postpartum. I'm a mother of two active boys and the co-creator of Whole30's Healthy Mama Happy Baby program. You can read my weekly blogs and learn more about my online pregnancy program, Healthy Mama Happy Baby, at mamas.whole30.com. I also work with clients virtually through my private practice, rockyourhormones.com. You can follow me on Instagram at rockyourhormones, where I share my favorite ingredient meals and helpful resources for mamas and moms-to-be. I'm doing this interview solo today, but with us in spirit is an amazing co-host, Dr. Ilana Romel. Dr. Ilana Romel is a naturopathic doctor, founder of Nourish Medical Center, and most importantly, a mama to a sweet baby girl named Aviva. With a passion for pediatrics, she created the Nourish Kids Medicine Kit, so busy mamas can now feel empowered to help their kids feel better fast. To learn more about the Nourish Kids Medicine Kit and her favorite pediatric natural remedies, visit nourishmykids.com. She also works with patients virtually through her medical center, which you can visit at nourishmedicalcenter.com. You can follow Ilana and her wellness team by subscribing to their video blog, Nourish TV, or follow her on Instagram at Dr. Ilana Romel, where she shares her efficient mama ways. Now on to our expert today, Dr. Stephen Lin is a dentist, TEDx speaker, and author of The Dental Diet. With a background in biomedical science, Dr. Lin has dedicated his career to outlining the nutritional basis of dental disease. His goal is to refine crooked teeth, redefine crooked teeth as a nutritional deficiency and the most significant chronic health problem on the planet. As a leader in the functional dentistry field, his work is building a new model to help intervene in dental growth in kids and prevent orthodontic braces. The Dental Diet book is available worldwide on Amazon, and you can learn more about functional dentistry and dental nutrition on his website, drstephenlin.com. short on time, and I had a million questions to ask Dr. Lynn, so we weren't able to get his answer to how he nourished himself today, but I'm happy to share mine. Since the boys have more than enough presents, and I knew that their grandparents were going to spoil them at Christmas, I decided to purchase a couple of chiropractic adjustments for them as Christmas presents. I know I'm the best mom, right? <laughs> Sorry, kids. But this winter has been brutal in California, with Flu's, colds, sniffles, coughs, all of it. And since our boys are both in daycare, they've been struggling a bit. I decided to take them for an adjustment over the weekend with the incredible Dr. Jay Warren of Cab Wellness Center to see if he could fix the issue, the underlying issue, readjust their bad body, get them back in balance, and help them either you know prevent getting as many colds or recover faster. I truly believe in the power of chiropractic work for infants, kids, and pregnant and postpartum mamas. I do my best to feed them well, to supplement them with immune support, but I can only do so much if there's a misalignment and their bodies are out of balance. Sometimes that food and that supplementation just isn't enough to prevent or kick colds. And while the boys were on the mend already from their cough and sniffles, I think the adjustment that we got on Friday really helped. And as we know, as mamas, if our babies and kids aren't sleeping well, we're not sleeping well either. And so it was a nourishing gift for me to get them to sleep well and to recover from this cold so that they could feel better to go back to daycare and I could get some work done. Dr. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us here on the Real Food Mamas podcast. We are so honored and excited to have you. And I feel like this interview is self-indulgent because there's so many questions that I want to ask you. And when I mentioned to my community that you were coming on, I was flooded with tons of questions. So I probably could talk to you all day, but we'll we'll keep it under an hour and try not to do too many rapid fire questions on you.
1: Hey, it's such a pleasure to be here, yeah, but you, you're so right, there's so many things to talk about, especially with parents and also kids' uh, ch- uh, dental development, and it's such an area I'm passionate, so I'm just really happy to be here.
0: Oh, and you talk about it so well, and you're so relatable and um, you non-judgmental when it comes to these things. I've been following you all over the place on podcasts and just had to have you on because I loved what you had to offer.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. Um, one thing about, you know, writing the dental diet and kind of going down this road of dental nutrition is that dentists kind of get stuck in our own world, you know, like we don't communicate sure. much with other health professionals and, you know, we, we, everyone thinks the, iso- the mouth is isolated to everything else. But really, you know, like there's so much to share. So it's been such a re- rewarding part of this whole journey.
0: Yeah, so let's start with that. So tell us how you got into dentistry and what led you towards a more functional approach.
1: Yeah, so it was actually, I mean, after, I've I've got a background in biomedical science, so I, um, and sports nutrition, so I was kind of into kind of lifestyle medicine and, um, you know, performance medicine and nutrition. Uh, But then I went into dentistry and dental school's tough and, you know, you kind of go out and you learn all these skills, go out into the world your first few years of clinical work is tough as well because it's very um, it's, it, it's very uh, confronting. You've, there's a lot of skills to apply straight away. Uh, but once you do that, you, life kind of you know, starts to tick over and you know you, you master your clinical work. and I found myself just kind of thinking and, and you know people were coming in and they were sick and you know I could fix things, but I didn't really know. Why they, you know, the problems were happening in the first place, and parents would ask me, for instance, why their kids, uh, you know, why one kid needs braces and why one maybe didn't, or why this kid got tooth decay and why this kid didn't. And I didn't really have the answers, so that started to bother me. And yeah. I actually took some time off dental practice because I was a little bit, you know, questioning whether I could do it for the rest of my life because it didn't, it wasn't fulfilling me. And so I actually took some time away. I went backpacking um, and I actually went in, in a uh, – I found it in a, a backpacker's hostel in Turkey uh, where there was a, a, a traveler's shelf there. And I actually picked up a book there that said Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston A. Price, DDS. I was like, what's this? And it was this amazing book of this dentist who went around the world in the 30s and he took all these pictures of people – who, um, uh, who lived on a traditional diet and never had dental disease. And we're talking crooked teeth, wisdom teeth, impactions, nothing. No tooth decay. And he kind of recorded it. I looked at it and I didn't understand it. Um, and I kind of went away. Uh, but then I went back to it because it, it, it kind of kept bothering me. And I opened it up and I realized that I didn't understand it. And then from there, I went back through all the literature. And then that was the journey to writing The Dental Diets. I realized there was a huge story hidden in our teeth and that we've actually missed this huge part of health and that there was a dentist in the 30s that wrote about it and i was just i guess i was just so set back by the the information that we'd missed out on and the you know what we kind of plugged in in the time so that was kind of like the road to writing the dental diet and then the clinical um application the food programs and really understanding how the mouth you know affects the rest of the body
0: yeah, I remember reading that in the introduction in your book about how you were trying to find your way as a dentist and thinking that maybe this wasn't the right career path for you and you stumbled across that book. What kind of fate is that? That was totally a calling and your calling and you're, um, you were lucky to find that and whoever placed it there knew that you needed to find it.
1: Yeah, I think it, it was a little bit serendipitous in right? some way, or, you know, like something was kind of trying to tap me on the shoulder, I, I think. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. You know, I, when I heard about Weston A. Price years ago, I was wondering why I hadn't heard about dentists talking about this. I mean, you are really one of the first dentists that I've heard talk about the importance of nutrition when it comes to dental health.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting actually how Weston A. Price was kind of isolated from, because he actually founded the American Dental, so the research arm of it. So he was a very influential dentist of his time, and he remained so really until he died. When his work kind of fell out of um, uh, kind of out of print, and then you know everything was kind of discounted. And you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, you know, some of his other work was discounted too. Um, but he was, you know, the stuff that he was doing was so far ahead of his time, mm-hmm. and. You know, and the the real, when kind of going through his work and understanding nutrition and physical degeneration, I realized that we didn't have the scientific understanding really only up until about 10 years ago and probably even more recently to yeah. actually plug it all back together and to show that the mouth is, and, you know, we can intervene in this thing growing. You know, we can prevent braces in kids. We can do that now. And, you know, and that actually then the, the last step was, Plugging that nutrition thing in, and that was his whole thing. He was onto that from the start. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, and we know that when we do get accumulation of research, it can take twenty plus years for it to be put into practice. So you know, he well, was definitely ahead of his game. You're even ahead of your game in the pediatric world.
1: Exactly, and you know, a lot of the kind of breathing and airway stuff really only came out in the early 90s, so that's when that all popped out. So that's really only kind of hitting that 20-year you know, mark now, and you know, we're probably getting a little bit faster now because of the internet and um, how information gets around, but that's the reality is that research will take 20 years to hit clinical practice, so there's all this knowledge that we have that's locked away um, from you know, actual real-world health applications.
0: Yeah. So, Dr. Lynn, since our audience is primarily made up of moms and moms-to-be, let's talk about dental health as it applies to pregnancy and kids. So we know moms are more prone to things like gingivitis while they're pregnant, and we also know that tooth buds develop in utero. So what can moms do when they're pregnant to improve their dental health and then their developing babies' dental health?
1: Yeah, this is such a great question. such a big area. Um, you know prenatal nutrition and obviously that's an area that that you're really into Stephanie and I think this is just such an area that we need to grow and understand um, but this is stuff that Weston A. Price talked about he spoke about how traditional traditional societies would feed you know expecting couples or planning couples for 6 to 12 months these nutrient rich diets before they would conceive and so his whole theory was based around these fat soluble, soluble vitamins A D and K2 and really, we know now that the body takes a long time to store these nutrients so that the liver and, and how fat sold the nutrients, they, you, don't, you can't accumulate them very quickly. And if anyone's tried to, for instance, um, spike their vitamin D levels um, you, you know, through supplements, it takes some people will take time. And that's mm-hmm. the story is that if you're looking to conceive, you need to have a long lead strategy to get your body ready. And we've lost that. That's why we have so much trouble trouble with pregnancy. You're growing a skeletal system. That is a nutrient hungry process. And so, you know, expecting mothers or if you're if you're thinking about, you know, even your fertility, because we've got so many fertility problems now, you need to be thinking at least a, a year in advance to get your health into intact in, in, in order to kind of have those stores in your body. But one real kind of I, I just think that the mouth kind of pro- provides us with the, you know, the root cause of, you know, um, you know, every disease or, you know, every health process in the body. But the amazing thing that um, uh, I think that happens during pregnancy is how the microbiome changes. So at, in, at conception, we have this sex hormone shift in, in the female body. And what happens is, is that the estrogen and progesterone shifts actually change the gut microbes. And so the, the gut microbes pre- present at conception actually go into this working mode. And they'll go and shift and change. And, and they get your body ready. They change your immune system. They change basically to, to, um, to get your body ready to turn over a lot of cells to build a, a little baby inside you. And so that's like the big bang of a, a child is that your sex hormone is changing the gut microbes. But the same thing happens in the mouth. And it d- doesn't actually happen until the second and third trimester the bleeding gums show up. But those sex hormones actually change the, the, the reaction of the oral microbiome in, in, the, in the gums as well. And so that's why you get bleeding gums in pregnancy because the body is shifting its microbial populations. And we've shown that in pregnancy, the, the gut microbiome actually shifts to a more like a type 2 diabetic and obesity um, uh, type of uh, gut flora um, population. And, and they actually, it actually makes... Your gut's slightly leaky, so you have a little bit of intestinal permeability. So that's what happens in pregnancy. That's you know what your body's doing to turn over and create a cell. So there's this amazing interaction between sex hormones, uh, gut microbes. There's all of that changes the collagen balance. So that's why pre- pregnant women also have a higher risk of um, gum disease and and also gum infections is because you have this amazing interaction because your body needs to become floppy so it can grow right so your collagen balance actually uh becomes uh it makes your collagen more elastic basically so so you can grow and 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 stretch and um, as the child grows but that makes your gums more stretchy too and that puts us at risk of gum disease so there's this amazing connection between gut microbes sex hormones fat soluble vitamins it is all connected to what's happening in your mouth you can watch. You know, a little bit of bleeding gums during pregnancy is probably normal, but if it, you can see that if it goes too far, your oral health in the first place probably wasn't. You know, and your gut probably wasn't as healthy as it needed to be. So we really should be thinking, to be getting our gut, our fat soluble vitamins, and all of that intact before we conceive.
0: Okay, and just to be clear, when you're talking about the fat soluble vitamins, you're talking about Eating things like liver, having cod liver oil, having ghee, having egg yolks, those kind of things, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So those nutrient dense foods. This is in the dental diet. We kind of get you know get into um, you know forty day program to really you know reintroduce ourselves to those foods. Um, you, you really have to think about how you eat these foods, you know, because otherwise you just don't get them in the, in the modern diet and. Anyone that hasn't really thought about, you know, how am I eating soluble vitamins? I guarantee you, you are likely you you are you are deficient in vitamin D and you're deficient in in um, K2 and A as well because they are just not put into the modern diet. And then we have all the other factors that we eat um, that stops us from absorbing any of those nutrients anyway. So you really have to do plan your your um, your eating around it and understand it in order. For, Uh, you know, to kind of start your body shifting to storing these nutrients.
0: Yeah, and then we have providers that are scared of vitamin A, the retinal form, and they have no idea what vitamin K2 is. So it really takes you being proactive and learning from resources like your book to put this into practice.
1: That's exactly right. You know, there's – unfortunately, vitamin A has been very misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the amazing thing is that the World Health Organization actually – has a program where they, because many um, uh, developing countries have have a lot of, like the rates of nighttime blindness is so uh, high there that they actually go and supplement vitamin A. So it's quite interesting, you know, and you think about the amount of eyesight problems we have now in modern society. We are clearly vitamin A deficient and we do need to eat more, yeah. So that's, you know, liver, um, egg yolks, uh, you know, good grass-raised dairy, those kind of foods that you have to go and, find out there in society now
0: okay and then as far as um, you know other things for mom's dental health getting extra cleanings I know a lot of insurance companies will cover a third cleaning that year that you're pregnant so do you recommend getting an additional cleaning
1: look you know it's probably worthwhile keeping an eye yeah you know, I, I- you know, I actually did a talk with a um a periodontist I know that's really into nutrition this morning, um and you know we spoke about how you know you know cleaning is um great it's very superficial though so it's like kind of like the you know if you have a car with a um with an engine problem uh, you don't take it to the car wash
0: <laughs> uh, you actually
1: you get it um you yeah know, you look, I love that uh, well, right yeah so that's that's you know like if you balance your mouth you know the the microbes if you feed just your, your immune system and your bones the right foods you you have every capability to keep your mouth healthy however because we've got modern you know um uh, you know diagnostics you know go and get your cleans yeah i would just you know absolutely be mindful that nutrition is the number one um you know defensive and you know and and um health providing factor for the mouth
0: okay perfect So let's get on to kids. I know my first did not like getting his teeth brushed until he was like three years old. And so a couple of the moms were asking, so, okay, once baby is born, hopefully, you know, when you were pregnant, you did focus on these fat soluble vitamins. If not, it's not too late, right? We can still make sure our kids are getting those. But realistically, how often should we be brushing and flossing our kids' teeth? and do we need to start when their first tooth comes in, or what are your thoughts on that? Because I know you, in your book, you said that you were the odd one out and liked to brush your teeth starting at age five, but most kids aren't. <laughs> so
1: Yeah, I was a strange kid. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I, was, I was, like, obsessed with brushing my teeth for some reason, and, you know, my sister really wasn't, and I was, I was just yeah, I was strangely obsessed with teeth when I was young. But like, the reality actually is, is that here's something that dentists, every dentist and every parent knows: is that no kids brush their teeth right, and no matter how you know, even kids that have dentists' parents, I guarantee you they're not getting their, you know their teeth brushed you know the way a, a dentist would want them to. And like, so that's the reality that no kids brush their teeth right. Try as best you can, you know, like get kids used to it from an early age uh yeah but don't stress about it too much because the reality is the kids you know they don't really have the motor skills to brush until and you know the attention really until they're 10 11 12 you know even older and then they go through teenage years where they don't want to do it anyway so the reality is, is there are very few kids that you know do have you know sparkling oral hygiene so if you focus on the food factors you know, if then you're, you're providing your child every defensive factor they have against dental disease and providing their bodies the nutrients they need. That's the important part. So, you know, oral hygiene is that superficial paint job. But But, you know, if you really think, if you understand the food factors for dental health, then it's not going to matter anyway.
0: Okay. So what are some of the foods that you recommend avoiding to ensure healthy teeth for kids? I mean, I'm sure we yeah. can all think about you know avoiding sugar as much as possible and those. But what are some of the biggies that we may not be thinking about?
1: Exactly. So I mean, sugar's the obvious one. You know, kids have, and you know, I think most of the health-oriented mums on you know listening to your podcast probably know that and probably try and reduce their sugar. Um, you know, with kids, it. You know, I do have an approach. You know, you know, really trying to get them to fat-based sweet foods so that you um, taking away that that sweet you know, that really sweet craving that kids have. And, you know, once you take it away, they do really change their taste it quite quickly. So that's always good note. We do that in the Dental Diet, trying to have desserts that are based in fat instead of sweet, and there's no sugar in them. Um, So that's that's my approach to sugar in that, you know, and I won't talk about sugar too much because we – but besides thinking about, you know, if you count in teaspoons per day what your kid's having, you know, you really shouldn't be having more than five to six teaspoons uh, of added sugar and – but from there, white flour is a big one. So you want to remove how much white flour. Remember that's broken down into sugar in your kid's body. So you want to remove as much white flour as possible. So if they're going to have breads, you know, have uh, you know, you know, whole grains where you can get them. They're very difficult to get now. Um, you know, dark rice or um, or sourdough uh, that's fermented, and so that. Those quality grains, if they are having them, um, you know. If not, you know, try them without grains. I, I tr- the dental diet takes us off grains just for the forty days, just so that we can see what else we can eat. Um, but the big one that uh, I think that most people need to know is our uh, vegetable oils. You need to get rid of uh, re- refined vegetable oils, and the reason why is because they actually um, imbalance the fat um, soluble. Vitamin nutrient absorption system. So your blood cholesterols So that's what carries these these fat soluble nutrients around your body. And if you're eating vegetables, and if your kids eating vegetables, it creates an inflammatory profile in your body. And so it's it's this omega three and omega six balance. But the, I think the big one that we don't understand is the absorption. So the the fats that go into your digestive system are what get packaged up by your digestive sorry your intestine to be delivered around your body. And so if you're sending these these um unstable fats around the body, you're creating unstable blood cholesterol molecules. Nothing absorbs. And so that's where we're at now. We're an inflamed um and nutrient poor um kind of system there. And so if you remove those vegetables, get back to whole fats, you know, coconut oils, animal fats, um, you know, stuff that we were grown up with butter and ghee, all of that was was uh, you know helps your child to absorb all these nutrients and and um and it'll, it'll take them away from those refined uh, nutrient you know, absolutely nutrient poor foods.
0: Okay, great, thank you so much. So, okay, I'm gonna have to confess something here. I probably shouldn't be telling this to a dentist, but we didn't take Otto, my oldest, to a dentist until he turned three. And part of the reason was because I was terrified. I didn't know what they were going to do. I had called a couple of dentists, and they said that they, if he didn't cooperate, they were going to sedate him. And it just really made me scared. He always got you know an A-plus from his pediatrician when they looked at his teeth. And I know and he's been following the principles that you talked about with diet. So... I actually just took him to the dentist. But I know it's usually recommended to take your kid to the dentist by their first birthday about. Is that correct? So, what do what are your thoughts? When should kids start going to the dentist?
1: Look, well, the amazing thing about um about what we know about dentistry now is that we can intervene right from the get-go. So the, the first thing actually that the first oral exam kids should get is immediately after birth, and that's actually oh. for a tongue, for a tongue tie. So we need yeah. to check the. Tongue. So you have to check the tongue tie, and this is actually law in Brazil. Every child needs to be assessed for a tongue tie, and they need, they need to be assessed by a myofunctional therapist. Um, you know, at at a very early age. So, and this used to be standard. You know, um, midwives used to cut the. Uh, they used to keep a, a nail sharp, and they actually used to cut the. Um, a tongue tie of, of a baby as soon as they were born if they saw it, and so so it 's something that we 've lost again, but so tongue ties will actually prevent um, proper latching and breastfeeding and so the first dental exam starts with that that tongue tie check and so if your kid hasn 't had a tongue tie check, I would recommend getting um you can check it yourself you know it 's a simple swipe under the um, under the tongue uh mm-hmm. with your finger and and there 's a, a few Articles on my website that you can kind of just look at if it's a flap of skin under the tongue and Most a lot of people have them because the last 30 years we've stopped um, Examining them but they actually stop the you know that you from using the tongue the tongue should be up against the roof of the mouth and Actually, and so if a child cannot get that up there or you know that it actually inhibits their dental growth So that actually increases their risk of getting braces So that's mm-hmm. the first one and then from there you know, it's lactation, so we've got this, you know, lactation specialists and dentists are starting to work together now, so we can, because breastfeeding is so important for growing the, the dental draw, so we need to make sure kids are breastfeeding well, and, you know, we can work, you know, if, if a dentist is, for instance, you know, monitoring tongue tie and then talking with the lactation specialist, making sure breastfeeding is going fine, then all of a sudden you've got a kid that's, that's, um, uh, that, that's breastfed for the first six, months to a year or you know however long a mother can do it and you know their their jaw is in a much better position and so from there we're going forward and you know they're beginning to get teeth uh obviously from three or four months you know the teeth the, the main thing is um i i think is the, the nutrient transfer from the mother to the child at those at that stage that's the most important so fat soluble vital so nutrient so um vitamin d testing for the mother so uh, a mother with vitamin D deficiency will actually have vitamin D deficient milk and breast milk. And so that will be passed to a child. So a child will be vitamin D. So checking that early is crucial because that's what's growing a child's jaws, bones, everything else. Um, and so making sure that the mother's you know, um, uh, fat-soluble vi- vitamin levels but, and then also her gut. So the breast milk also has a microbiome. And so that's passed on by this system. So there's actually lymph cells that carry gut bacteria from a mother's gut to her breast and pass it on to the child. And that's what eventually seeds the child's oral microbiome and then the gut microbiome. So there's this amazing system happening from a a mother to a child, nutrient transfer bacteria, that is all shaping the oral cavity. And we are beginning to understand how this is all connected to dental health to their immune system to the gut and so this is what we need to be is that it's all connected we shouldn't just be seeing as you know going to check teeth but understanding all of these factors that help a child develop
0: but i'm assuming a lot of dentists don't know everything that you know or that you're talking about here so you know if a mom wants to take her kid to the dentist, would all dentists be able to check for the tongue tie? Is that something that you're trained in and that they'd be familiar with? Or is that something where you'd really want to do your research on who you're going to go see?
1: Yeah, you're going to, so tongue tie is becoming more uh, common now. So there are more and more dentists who are, uh, so that, so you get extracurricular training for that. So you go and do a course. Um, There are more dentists doing that. So if you Check on their website if they talk about tongue ties or sleep or airway dentistry, they'll likely, they've been trained in it and they do it. Um, so find a, a dental professional that does that. I, that's the first step for a mother. Um, you go and get a child check for tongue tie. And then from there, that dentist is, is trained in this area. So you, you're going to have a point um, to go on those next steps. So that that's a good way to start exactly.
0: Okay. Um, And if, let's say, the baby wasn't breastfed or the baby didn't have any issues with a tongue tie, um, even though they were breastfed, is there a time where it's too late to get that removed or snipped, or can they get that done at any time?
1: You can get it done at any time. So, I mean, it it gets a little bit more difficult as they get a bit bit older, so they they will have to have um, a little bit of anesthesia, um, or sometimes you can do it with laser without, but you can even get it released as an adult. So um, adults have, if you check your own, all the mums out there, check your own, because I'm telling you, it's life changing. If you've got a tongue tie and you get it released, the, there's there's some videos online, there's some cases that I've seen. Uh, so we've released the, the tongue and people actually get like a violin string um, kind of uh, released down their spine. Mm. and and all of a sudden they say that that, oh, that they they can stand up straight and they feel pain free and so there's this amazing connection from the tongue um, with the neurofascial system right down to the toes so everyone should check themselves for tongues so like check your 5 year old check your 10 year olds. if you didn't check them earlier it, it, it there is benefit if um, to have it released so because it it stops normal swallowing and you can actually go and do myofunctional therapy which is facial um, muscle and swallowing therapy to actually retrain a kid, say, for instance, a 10 year old, the tattered tongue guy, to swallow properly and then get them on track um, to, uh, you know, for the rest of their life.
0: Wow, this is fascinating. I'm so glad we have you on the show. This is information <laughs> that not a lot of people know, so I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of hidden away, but there are dentists, you know, there, there's a small community of dentists now that are doing this. So if you look, you can find it and actually just watch out. I'm going to I'm. – we've been a bit behind, but I'm trying to put a directory together of dental practitioners that understand all this stuff oh, so correct. that people can find it. So that should be up hopefully in, in, in the not too distant future. So watch out on my website for that.
0: Okay. And when that's ready, I'll link to it in the show notes too. Definitely. Okay. Now, fluoride. I'm sure you get asked this a ton. Our moms, the moms in my community, wanted to know what your take was on fluoride—if it's something that we should be avoiding in our kids' toothpaste, if maybe our water isn't fluoridated, if we should be supplementing, and what about fluoride treatment when we go to the dentist?
1: Yeah, look, so so fluoride's a you know a very funny one. Um, obviously, you know, in the US we have fluoridated water, same in Australia, uh, like. The main thing I like to say about fluoride is that it's a treatment and we should see it like that it is not prevention. So in certain situations, you know, severe decay, there might be uh, application for fluoride. Um, fluoride toothpaste to me don't make sense because they it's actually at a concentration that's the same as water fluoridation. And so the evidence actually shows that water fluoridation works via systemic absorption of fluoride and then it, it gets worked into the tooth enamel, which makes it stronger. So that's how water fluoridation work but in toothpaste that that um concentration is actually um working topically so it doesn't work at that concentration. you would have to have a much higher concentration of fluoride for it the action to work in the mouth so fluoride toothpaste doesn't make sense um and if we think about it in a, a context of prevention um If you're watching your kids' vitamin D, their gut, they're they're eating, you know, a a nutrient-dense diet, um, you know, they're not going to need fluoride. So there are some clinical applications. I don't think kids need to use fluoride toothpaste. It's not prevention. It's treatment. We should always think of it like that. Um, Your bodies don't need fluoride to prevent decay. And, you know, brushing and flossing is just a superficial way to kind of scrub the surface of our teeth anyway.
0: Okay. So if our water isn't fluoridated, that's okay as long as we are taking care of it from our foods. Yeah. Okay. Don't worry about it. Yep. Okay. Great. Um, And then what about, while we're on the topic of supplementation, what about oral probiotics? I know those are starting to rise in popularity. I know hyperbiotics has a kid's uh, ENT, ear, nose, and throat oral probiotic. So is that something we want to consider or is focusing on gut health and a healthy diet enough?
1: Yeah, so there's a a bunch of literature now on oral probiotics that actually show that certain species... So there's about five, six... There's about eight um, uh, strains of oral probiotics that that there's a fair bit of literature on. And so you can actually... There's a few strains, for instance, that prevent decay, um, gum disease, bad breath, um, uh, oral thrush. So there are oral probiotics out there that... um, uh you know that, that, can, that can prevent uh, dental disease so but if a child for instance so you see a lot of there's a lot of forums online where the kids have had tooth decay and whatnot. uh there is a role for instance using an oral probiotic in a in a healing regime um you know so if a kid has had tooth decay uh i would think about an oral, oral probiotic just to rebalance that environment as they they're healing because it shows that they've got a dysbiosis in their um, in the floor and the mouth. So I, using an oral probiotic, uh, and there's a few, you know, like you said, I think that, yeah, there's a, um, there's a few brands out there. Uh, but overall you want to be thinking diet. So in in terms of the microbiome, you want to get your kid eating fermented foods, eating lots of vegetables, lots of prebiotic fibers. That's how you get a diverse, strong microbiome. And then, you know, they're getting all the or you know oral probiotics and gut probiotics by food.
0: Okay. Got it. I like how you think. <laughs> That's perfect. And one of the things that you talked about in your book and I've heard you talk about on your podcast is looking at preventing, you know, tooth teeth from becoming developing too close together and things that you can do to prevent braces and problems with breathing. So can you address some of those things? Because those aren't often talked about either. And I feel like with braces, we kind of think that it's out of our control. when in fact, we can pinpoint red flags early on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That, this is a big one is that every parent should know that we can prevent brace and you can see the signs of dental development in your kids. So that's really, really important because we, we haven't been told this. We now have an orthodontic model where we can intervene in a child and we can actually um, get a kid functioning right. So for instance, if we get a kid to breathe through their nose, uh, put their tongue to the roof of the mouth and close their lips for 80, 90% of the day you know, and you know posture their head straight up and down, their jaws will grow naturally. So crooked teeth, are a symptom of poor jaw growth and so there's a few signs that you can kind of look in your kid to see if dentally they're um they're not growing as as maybe as fast as they should be and so what you, what we see in the practice is that kids will come in they're slumped forward um they're they've got a long face they've got bags under their eyes they've got this wide open mouth with their tongue hang, hanging open their mouth they look tired they don't the, they don't perform well at school. And the problem here is that they're not breathing right. So the first thing we learn in the dental diet is that oxygen is what, the number one nutrient. And for kids, it's crucial that they breathe through their nose. So we have to retrain kids to posture their mouth closed, tongue to the roof of the mouth, breathe through the nose. And, and sometimes, um, so a lot of kids have allergies, so you've got to go. And breathing actually helps clear allergies in um in certain kids and you, sometimes you have to do a bit more too, but it's all about re- reprogramming that system so that they can breathe through the nose and grow the upper jaw so that they, they grow straight teeth naturally. And so it all starts with breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is the first thing that grows the jaw because the, the child has, has to actually push the nipple up to the palate, which is soft like wax during when, when uh, for a newborn, and that expands the palate. So if you put your tongue to the palate, you know, for a lot of the day with closed lips, that's actually expanding your palate. And even in adults now, we can actually expand just by, by, by using expansion forces with a device. And we can change the face in, in an adult even. So kids are completely intervenable. And we've got to get in the, in these growth stages before they hit you know, 10, 11, 12 when the adult dentition comes in. Because that, that's when it all starts to slow down. You can get in before, get their breathing right, get their function right. We learn this in the dental diet. We learn some exercises to do at home so you can start breathing through the nose before eating. I, I think breathing exercises for the whole family before eating is a great idea. Um but then there's other uh there's other stuff on my website, for instance, about um tongue and mouth exercises. There's a program on there where you can take your kid through the whole um you know, the whole regime.
0: And I'm so glad you included that because I can imagine that there's not a ton of dentists and doctors out there that are trained in this well there's
1: actually there's um this is actually an area that is probably more common than others so my functional orthodontics so look it's not really uh that common yet but you can find so my functional therapists or a facial myologist they all work in getting kids breathing this way and functioning right so that's actually an area of dentistry that is starting to pop up a bit more so if you look at, and this is what we'll try, i'll try and build up in terms of the directory to find there are a lot of my therapists around you know depending on where you are um but you know you can you, if you find one yeah you know, that they'll help you to get get your child to you know they'll actually pick up dysfunctions and how they use their tongue or the lips and and get them to uh use the oral cavity properly
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess one of the first things is knowing what you're looking for, right? (laughs) Because if you you can search for a certain type of doctor or specialist, it makes it a lot easier. Okay. So what about, we talked about tongue ties, but what about lip ties? Does that have a role in how teeth develop if you've got like a very prominent lip tie?
1: Yes, it does. So it it has a, so usually they find with the, the prevalence of a tongue tie, they often have a lip tie as well. So if a kid does have a tongue tie, there's usually a lip tie there too. Um, and it can, so the big thing is latching. So in, in breastfeeding kids, it is, it can, now it's, it's not as, the thing is with tongue ties is it doesn't exactly relate to a functional, um, characteristic. So there's, for, for instance, there's kids that will have tongue ties that will actually function okay for some reason because they've compensated in some way. So lip ties are a little bit less kind of, um, correlated to functional, functional problems, but it can Prevent breastfeeding issues and perhaps using the lips the right way. So it's wor- it's a very simple release. You know, um, if you get the tongue release, it's probably worth doing as well. Um, but it's good to get an assessment by a dentist or um, oral surgeon or ENT that's trained in that.
0: Okay, got it. And I guess the last question that I wanted to make sure we got your advice or input from would be dental work during pregnancy. So what are the considerations with this? Are there any procedures that should be avoided or maybe would be better to wait until postpartum?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, look, generally, most dentists will be um, will be as conservative as possible through pregnancy. So we try not to intervene, um, you know, at all. If you have an infection, so if you have an abscess, um, then it's probably better to to do something rather than um, you know rather than wait it out because I mean the the risk of infection is is going to be far worse than uh, the risk of, of treating. So things like you know, dental X-rays are quite low exposure, so especially um, you know they, they usually have protections, so it 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 can be worth you know having an X-ray if you do have a robbing toothache um and you know the, the actual exposure will be quite low so generally we, we try and limit it but at you know if if the risk outweighs um potential um you know downsides of treatment which sometimes will off you know we'll, we'll just go ahead for instance do an x-ray diagnose and make sure we're not getting um uh you know make sure we're not we haven't got a risk of something serious happening
0: okay all right um can i ask you two more questions <laughs> i'm sorry sure. i really could talk to you all night because <laughs> this isn't this is something that i i definitely have been more interested in lately but it's not an area of expertise by any means for me besides the nutrition piece um so let's talk pacifiers and finger sucking and when, when we i know you're really passionate about preventing um you know proper or making sure that teeth develop properly so when should we pull the pacifiers ideally and is finger sucking like for example my three-year-old loves to suck on his um, pointer finger and his middle finger
1: yeah so so thumb sucking and and finger sucking can um lead to open bites which is kind of that kid where kid will bite together and their front teeth won't touch uh so it so having that um, having that finger or thumb in there actually prevents the tongue being where it should be, and so can can lead to to um, uh, to kind of deformed uh, dental arch at the front there. So you want to kind of get your kids out of that habit as soon as you can. And this is all kind of like if getting back to hope training them to be closed lips. So we want to be have kids, you know, um, posture to be low. So I think that you know, kind of finger-sucking and, and this comes from having open mouths in the first place, you know, because if they learn to, to be closed mouth and, and be postured that way, they're not going to have that inclination to put something in there, you know what I mean. So if we retrain kids to be closed lips, and it's hard, I know it's hard, and, like, don't feel guilty <laughs> if your kid does it, like, or anything like that, but if you kind of go down that road to, you know, like, for instance, um, tongue exercise with kids great. Getting them used to putting it up to the to r- the roof of their palate. You know, they can't have if their tongue's up, they, you can't have you know their, their finger in there, and so it it pushes them to be lip closed as well, and that's how their their teeth are growing. So don't worry if you, your kid's doing. You know, don't feel bad. Like it, kids. You know, you can we can change it really quite rapidly. So a kid with a open bite, if we correct it, you know. We um, would get there in time. But you want to kind of get them away from this. You want to try to get away from kids being open mouth and think um, fingers in mouth as well. So, yeah, I, at least try and, you know, I, I would start thinking about it. But it's a very new area, so don't feel bad as parents out there if you've kids been doing this for a, you know a bit longer than what we'd expect.
0: Okay. Would you say try to cut it by, like, a year, two years? What yeah. would you?
1: Yeah, look, okay. I – you, like you want to win, yeah. So, like, um, you know, generally, you know, like I try and tell, you know, if we're breastfeeding, um, you know, for about a year, um, but you know, if you if they can go without pacifiers, you know, I know that's hard because, um, yeah, you know, it's probably better. But you know, there, there's some situations. For instance, a pacifier will at least guarantee they're breathing through their nose. So, some some of the kind of newborn Experts will say, well, you know, it's better than mouth breathing, which is true. So then, it, you know, a, a pacifier in that, in that first period might be beneficial for a little bit. Um, but generally, you want to, yeah, in that six to two months to a year, I'd be trying to get away from those and get them using their own tongue and lips.
0: You're trying to be so sensitive. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know it's tough.
1: It's, it's a gray area yeah. too, though. Like it's yeah. you know we don't know, and you know like you know, kids are hard. Like it's 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 not an easy um, easy area.
0: Yeah. All right. And our final question, I, I mean it this time um, would be regarding. So, what if a mom is following the Wesson A. Price Foundation and the the. um those kind of fat-soluble vitamin recommendations that you had, and her kid still has some browning on the teeth. You know, I know some moms are really doing a great job with their kids' nutrition, and they still have Mm. a little bit of decay. So are there some kids that are just more prone to decay?
1: Yeah, like there's something – one thing about all this is that we have – you know, eating the modern diet seems to – you know, it will do – a certain amount of damage, it might even be for generations, and kind of. Have you heard of the Pottinger's cat study? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, the Pottinger's cat study showed that you know he put them on these diets, and they slow. The first generation of cats got crooked teeth. The next ones, we you know were, you know, had you know, kind of deformed skulls, and you know were, were really poorly built. And the la- the next ones were basically non-functional. Then they died out. But he took that third generation and it took them four generations to get back to the strong skeletal system, the nice coats, the calm, you know, uh, well-balanced cats. So epigenetic healing takes time. So uh, don't worry if, you know, if you're, you know, don't feel bad. You know, if, for instance, um, your kid has, um, and and I have heard of, of mums who have said this too. You know that there is um, some brown spots, for instance, on kids' teeth and stuff like that. You know, it might have been that there was some kind of um, you know deficiency, you know, long-standing deficiency. But if that's one thing I do with with um, my patients and I recommend it for people is that go and get tested. Always test your vitamin D. Know your know your levels. Um, understand sleep. So so sleep and airway and breathing is really important too. So. And then and then gut health. So if you get to those three pillars, so vitamin D sleep and, and gut health, you're going to make sure that all of these processes are gonna be fine moving forward. So don't feel bad. It's likely that it might have been a nutrient deficiency or uh, um you know some kind of um, imbalance or insult or fever, whatever it was, um, maybe when the tooth was forming. You know, it it can ha- actually happen that in utero that if there is a fever that while the um the tooth buds are forming and the the enamel will actually form improperly uh, and you can't help that. So sometimes you you just can't help it.
0: And when you talk about vitamin D testing, you're talking about for mom and the child, right?
1: Both. Absolutely both.
0: Yeah. And that's something you're going to have to really be proactive and ask your pediatrician about because it's not something that they will do often for kids. I mean, maybe they'll do it at a year, but you're going to have to keep asking for it.
1: Exactly, yeah, and there's the good thing in the states too is you guys have some good labs that can do simple finger prick tests, yeah, um, and send them. That that's so simple, and you know it's something like seventy. order your
0: own, yep.
1: Order your own, and just know, just understand the levels, especially after winter. You know, know where your kids are at. If they if they don't get sunlight, you know, full body. If you live in, um, you know, above thirty seven degrees latitude, um, if, if they're not getting, you know. Full body sun a lot of the day, then they're likely deficient. Um, and so, you know, get them on that nutrient dense diet. But just know the levels, because some sometimes it'll take a bit of time. Usually, kids bounce back really quickly. But you want to know where, you know, for instance, how much if you eat liver once or twice a week or eggs or what, how many eggs a kid will eat, wh- what that relates to in terms of blood levels, because we've got the technology now. We might as well use it.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. So I know people want to know more. We covered just a couple of the bases and the things that we you talk about in your book, but where can they find you?
1: So they can find me on my website, so Dr. Stephen Lynn, D-R-S-T-E-V-E-N-L-I-N dot com. And on social media, so Facebook at Dr Stephen Lin and Instagram at Dr Stephen Lin. Come and say hello. Yeah, there's lots of information on there about functional dentistry. So we try and cover a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of kids stuff on there. Um, yeah, but the book really is about getting the whole family, getting yourself, getting uh, your family eat, and understanding the processes of dental nutrition and how you eat for healthy teeth for the rest of your life.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate the work that you're doing and I appreciate your time coming on the podcast to share your knowledge with us.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Steph. It was an absolute pleasure. And thank you for all your work too, because this stuff's important. Parents need to know this. There's stuff that we can do to, you know, to make our kids' lives, you know, so much healthier and happier.
0: All right. Have a great night. You too. Please remember that the views on this podcast are not meant to be substituted for medical advice, shouldn't be used to diagnose, treat, or cure any conditions, and are intended for general information purposes only. Don't forget to subscribe. Rate, review and share our podcast so we can spread the real food word. We also invite you to visit our website realfoodmamaspodcast.com to find past episodes, leave comments and ask questions for future shows. We'd love to hear from you. Now go on, have a great day and nourish and nurture you and your family.